Today, I want to talk about the hellscape that is technical diagramming, right? Everybody's nodding their heads right now. Uh-huh. And there is a potential solution that I want to share. There was one name that several people brought up. I did some digging, and it's kind of nuts how much this program Miro has for developers. I have to share this. It could potentially be a game changer for you. So my favorite part about Miro is that half the work is already done. Like right now, typically we spend hours starting diagrams from scratch, right? Gathering information, you get buy-in from every team. Uh, you know, following up, that's a lot of work to do. But Miro has a full set of integrations with the tools you're probably already using. And they also offer open APIs and SDKs for custom solutions for all those niche diagramming use cases we have to do, right? So the end result is the same, but it doesn't take forever. It's a massive, massive time saver. I'm transforming basic flowcharts and network architectures, and it all lives in one place. So are you using Miro? Have you used it? I want to hear Jerry, I kind of dismissed you last week. Put my hands up now, and I'm not saying I'm infallible the way Owen used to say it. Apology accepted. And I was like, there's no fear here. No. Teams don't fear Dublin anymore. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTBAM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head at performances which just lacked that intensity. Cody Gakpo in the box, fires it into the back of the net. It's Liverpool 1, Manchester United 0. Being turned into the net by Darwin Nunez. Nunez over the far side, kissed the Gakpo, has a shot, it's a goal for Liverpool. Mo Salah scores for Liverpool to make it Liverpool 4, Manchester United 0. Henderson picks it up, then puts the cross in and it comes off the head of Darwin Nunez. It's a foul 5 for the boys from Liverpool. Salah finishes and that's his second goal of the afternoon. It's a super six for the Reds. The week that Firmino announces he's leaving Anfield. He's just smacked one into the back of the net, right in front of the cup, and it's bedlam down there. Yeah, this, this is a tough watch. I've got to be honest with you now. Got, what is it, seven? It's Liverpool seven, Manchester United nil. That was some top-class editing from Emma, Emma Carroll to get seven goals into 42 seconds. <laughs> Emma came in this morning and was like, I, I have great commentary from the match last night. I was like, yeah, okay, that, that, would, that would be good. How long is it? She didn't have much time. 42 seconds. I was like, ah, surely it can be shorter than that. I was like, Cullum, that's the shortest I can make it to get all the goals in. <laughs> that's like, what, six seconds per goal? That's, that's not bad at all. All right, let's avoid for as much as we can the uh, pantomime nature of all this because uh, we'll get to some of the comments for you, Shane, uh, in a little while. But where are we starting in the red this morning, Shane? Comments for me? I don't know, I don't know what people are talking about. Um, yeah, I think we'll start with, with Manchester United in the red. Um, never has a team probably deserved to be in the red of the performance rankings more uh, because yesterday was, well, a day that will live in infamy for Manchester United fans. They will all be going to work this morning, as you said, Nathan, uh, with a little tear in their eye uh, as they think back to those 90 minutes of, of torture and hell for Eric Ten Hag. Those moments the first half you're, you're watching Eric Ten Hag on the sideline taking his notes, his usual calm demeanour. Even when they went 1-0 down and at, at half-time you're thinking, OK, United are a second-half team generally speaking of, of late. But the signs were there fairly early on. Someone like Casemiro, who is, has been a, a linchpin in that United t- midfield this season, just wasn't at it. Um, I don't know if many of the United players were at it in the first half there was a couple of chances from Rashford and Bruno and you were thinking if they'd gone in maybe there was a chance but then the second half was just 
I don't know if you'll call it a capitulation. Maybe you will. We'll, we'll get to Liverpool the later on. Capitulation is being kind. Yeah. Like, this was one of the most embarrassing, humiliating, shambolic 45 minutes that any team have ever put in in the history of the Premier League. If you look at the all-time record defeats, the 9-0s, the 8-0s, it's minnows. They're the teams who get beaten yeah. by these sort of scorelines. Because I think as Neville and Keane rightly pointed out after the game, there's a professionalism that the top teams should automatically have. That when it gets to 3 or 4 nil, these guys have all played hundreds, thousands of games of football. They know when it's not your day. They know when it's going wrong. They know when it can get out of hand. And that's when you just put the handbrake on, you slow it right down, and you go home with your 3 nil, with your tails between your legs, and you regroup. you got another match next week. You're going still for two other trophies. Your title ambitions are probably gone, but you put the head down. But if anything, it was the complete opposite. The last 10 minutes, like 7 0 ended up being kind to Liverpool. They could have had two or three more goals. There could have been two or three red cards for Manchester United. I, it, it's hard to think of a situation where heads were gone as badly as that United team. Liverpool were very efficient with their uh, scoring. They scored seven of their eight goal shots on target. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it could have been worse, but thankfully, didn't have any more shots on target because by the end, any shot at all would have gone in, judging by the United mentality. But afterwards, Ayrton Hyde very coldly analysed it, saying, they were disgraceful but also unprofessional and he used that word three times in the post-match interview in Sky Sports did not hide behind the fact about what happened at all but one thing I disagree with there Shane is like I thought Manchester United were decent in the first half I thought they probably oh, they were, just yeah. about shaded it yeah. and I thought you were saying the early signs there that wasn't looking good I thought Casemiro was way off it his passing was awry from the start but if you look at if you analyse the first half I thought Liverpool slightly shaded the first quarter slightly and then from the about the 15th minute until the 43rd Cody Gakpo's first goal I thought United were slightly better you look at the chances Anthony started off with a shot out just outside the box curled it on his left with Alisson at the force behind for a corner uh, and then you had the Bruno Fernandes header from that crossing from the right hand side and it just went wide I was absolutely convinced that was a goal and then just after that Luke Shaw's beautiful through ball to Marcus Rashford who tried to take it first time judging by his confidence at the moment Rashford has never scored on Merseyside either away to Liverpool or Everton and I thought he could have taken a touch and composed himself and shot past Alisson but United didn't take their chances and then when Liverpool scored that first goal they just took it from there but I don't think anybody saw what was going to happen in the second half I would love to know what happened at halftime in that dressing room. Well, can I, can I just ask in the first half, because a lot was made post-game of United being the better team in the first half. And as you say, I thought it was, all irrelevant. it was relatively tight in the first half. United certainly had their chances, and with Rashford's form, you would expect them to take that opportunity. I was still really surprised in the first half an hour by United's absence of ambition. They were wasting this time. Was th- and this was almost been encouraged. That, and listen, Gary Neville has played there dozens of times so he understands the psyche of going to Anfield and he was very keen to point out again and again that this place is what really tests the Manchester United squad Yeah, but Liverpool have been at a very low ebb and if you look at Liverpool over the last three months you look at some of the bad bad defeats that they've taken against Brighton against Brentford you sort of knew going into those games that Liverpool might struggle with the intensity of those sides not the Liverpool of old but the Liverpool that we've seen of this season of the last three months because they play so fast they get at you they'll press in your face and it just felt that Manchester United had to come to Anfield with a high intensity game plan that the counter-attacking football of Solskjaer that they felt worked well for them at times obviously not against Liverpool last season but that that's what they were going to go for let Liverpool have it and you beat them on the break 
that was not the game plan to beat Liverpool yesterday. They needed to be in their face, attacking front foot football in that first half, put them on the back foot in the first 15, 20 minutes, make Anfield nervous, and it wouldn't take much to make Anfield nervous right now. I thought they paid them way, way too much respect. Well, didn't have anywhere near enough confidence in themselves. And there have to be some questions about Ten Hag's game plan as well, where he sticks Bruno Fernandes, who we will get on to, out on the left-hand side, sticks Marks Rashford up front, plays Vout Veghurst as a number 10. When all of the pre-match expectation is that, let Rashford have a run at Trent. Let him have a run. When we get on to Liverpool, that was Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robinson's best Liverpool performance all season by a country mile. Mm. They won't get applauded because of what the front three did. But the two of them were the players of last season, of the last three or four seasons. Crossfield balls, playing them off the right foot, off the left foot, doing whatever the hell they wanted. Yeah. And that was down to Ten Hag's tactics, letting them do that. Well, I'm like, not he, sure. got this one, he got this one wrong as well. I'm not sure. Like Liverpool are at a low ebb by their hugely high standards that Jurgen Klopp has set over the last number of years, but they're not at their lowest ebb this season. I mean, coming into that game, the Real Madrid uh, result, that was really also the second half, funny enough, a capitulation by Liverpool. But other than that, Liverpool have been decent since the 3-0 defeat away to Wolves on the 4th of February. Like They won the Merseyside derby very handily. They won away to Newcastle 2-0, which is a great win. OK, the 0-0 uh, away to Crystal Palace last weekend was very poor. But then they beat Wolves 2-0. They've been very solid defensively. Oh, they've, got, they've got a lot so better. They've done a lot better. So I, I don't think there was anything wrong at all with United's game plan in the first half. And I think we're only saying that now because of what happened in the second half. Gary Neville said in commentary, like you pointed so out... So you thought in the first half having Fernandez out in the left-hand no, side I thought that was I thought that was a so poor... That was a poor... Strange, I didn't think the performance was too bad because Gary Neville said in commentary to Jamie Carragher it was like they're slowing the game down and he was in favour of that and that's how they used to do it in his day and if you look at the successful results that United had at Anfield in Gary Neville's time like the John O'Shea 2007 game Carlos Stevis 2008 game that was exactly the same type of performance where United sold it down. They didn't show any great None ambition. None of these those, things are relevant. They didn't show any what? of those great ambitions. What other no, team? That's, sorry. That, that's the how game is what happened 15 into. years ago relevant because tactically to what can first happen time. today? It was taking soon United. As soon as it was relevant, apparently he was This is the first time so taking common. United side to Anfield. And he said before, and I'm very excited to do this, he must have been looking at any sort of game plan. What traditionally works well ah, at Anfield? I think that's There's no manager in the world is going back to 2007 going, this is the Manchester United way of winning at Anfield. Manchester United used to beat Liverpool all the time because they were a way better team than them. He would have been told umpteen times what happens at Anfield is this. So you need to combat that. You can't treat it the same. So he said, OK, we'll slow the game down. They were visibly, like clearly slowing the game down so much was, in the first half. That was half, a bad right? game plan. It was bizarre. I, it really, lads, it wasn't bizarre because United shaded the first half. I know, but it was, but it was actually fine. need to be shading the first half. I'd be half. way, way more concerned with the defensive capitulation in the second half than any sort of game plan in the first half. Well, can we talk at half time, everything was fine. Liverpool went one up at half time. Was okay if United continue playing the way they are, they have a chance of getting back into this. That's what the half time discussion was. Right, we're, the we're, second half is a completely different game. We're on red, so let's let's analyse critically some of the United players because some of the performances were abysmal. Would be would be probably using a too light a well, word. Let's start with your pal. Right, Bruno Fernandes. You're mad to talk about Bruno Fernandes. Bruno uh, Fernandes, and uh, somebody in our YouTube comments has just summed up Bruno Fernandes better than I ever could. Edward Freeman says, Bruno is a spoofer. If he was on the Titanic, he'd have thrown the women and children overboard to save himself. Harsh. Jesus, that's harsh. Um, look, you, you famously said on this show last week, Nathan, uh, you, you had your, your uh, reservations about Bruno Fernandes. I came on the next morning and was, was like, well, look, Bruno Fernandes was very important in, in United season so far. He's been crucial in Rashford's rejuvenation, I would argue as well. And I did stipulate and say, yes, his attitude 
uh, leaves a lot to be desired at times. Even United fans get sick of it, the antics and the holding his face when he gets hit on the fucking shoulder or whatever else. And yeah, he is a frustrating player to watch whether you support his team or whether you're against his team. Yesterday, his performance was horrific, let's be honest. Uh, and it wasn't just the performance, it was his attitude, generally speaking. Because, uh, as we were speaking about earlier, he's wearing the captain's armband. Does he ever captain Anfield. Manchester United again? Yeah, clearly. Well, what's the alternative? David De Gea is the alternative, is he? Like, uh, Harry Maguire. Casemiro! Casemiro! Rafa Varane! Yeah. You cannot look at the incident, that, and there's half a dozen of them have been sent to me, with Bajetic at the end, where he has a little yeah. kick out of him, lets him roll by, throws his hands up into the air, could have been sent off for pushing the assistant referee. Like, this happened in the build-up to two or three of the goals, he's dispossessed and he stands there. Like, this is, that is not the behaviour of a world-class player, the way Cap- you spoke Captain, about him. Captains lose discipline. I'm not saying. Keane and, and Vieira have lost discipline I understandably a got a lot of blowback from Manchester United supporters who pointed out all the great things Bruno Fernandes has done. And I'm not saying, in any way, that Bruno Fernandes is not an incredibly talented footballer. Clearly he is. The point I was raising, more than anything, was as Manchester United looked to get to the next level, because the feeling was they had reached a certain level where they're contenders, if they want to become champions, is Bruno Fernandes good enough to bring them to that level? And I don't think, I don't think consistently he is. He has moments, and I get the, he's trying for moments. That's what he does. He tries the dangerous pass all of the time. But there's too many games where he's not influential. He's clearly a pretty poisonous figure. If that's what your captain is allowed to do on the pitch... If that's what he's allowed to do on the pitch, that filters through to all the younger players. Like they've just got rid of Cristiano Ronaldo. He's not at that level. R- Ronaldo, that was po- Ronaldo was a poisonous figure. I, d- I don't know if poisonous but figure on, on is, the pitch, is fair on the pitch, Bruno. on the pitch, could be a lovely guy off it. Who knows? I don't know. But that attitude, as you said, that's been there all the time. Like yesterday was the worst. Yesterday was the yeah. worst we've seen from Bruno Fernandes. But, but y- y- your team is losing seven nil at Anfield. He's obviously. But they weren't losing seven nil when this started. No, I that's know. That's the problem. But this started at 2-0 I, I at 3-0. I this out two years ago when Fernandes was United, by far United's best player that his gesticulating was infuriating to watch. So annoying uh, it, it, This is absolutely nothing new by Fernandes. The only real striking thing was the Bayecic moment in the, at the end of the game when he just completely gave up. Oh, but, now, that, that, that but that was, happened that, on I, goal three or goal four in the middle of the I pitch know, as well. Uh, that, like, that, was re- that really stood out for me. But other than that, like, was like, that's exactly what I expect Fernandes to do. Like, this is the worst of Fernandes that you see. And the fact that he wears the captain's armband is a bit concerning. I imagine he's a somewhat positive uh, influence when things are going well in the dressing room. But like, in many ways, this makes Eric Ten Hag's summer plans probably more clear-cut because it's a reminder that United are nowhere nowhere near no. as good as they and can sorry, be. And sorry, yes. that, that word And contenders. this is like, uh, th- also, this United has been like New Year, New Me, New Year's resolution where it's going yeah. so well for so long but there's still that muscle memory of the last decade of United being so far off it that it came back with a vengeance yesterday and I'd say Ten Hag was shocked. United also have a massive problem at Anfield. They've scored one goal in their last seven games there and that goal, Jesse Lingard, oh, which was the last Jose Mourinho this. moment. This is a different Manchester United. None of these previous games are massively relevant. Um, I would say like, they are. Like, there's I been mean, a change, all right. That's over the last exactly half what decade, the players- that Liverpool have been far stronger than Manchester United, which makes it a very difficult place. Every team has a terrible record at Anfield over the last five or six years. But United are in a totally different place going into this game to where they were previously. Oh, yeah, and as soon as as soon as they went two and three, they were the players that were there last season when they lost four nil. And that was an equally bad drumming in terms of performance. They're like, oh, here we go again. And and that that was the really concerning. Well, here we go again. Was it was the that crux of that team was there. And then they were like, oh no, we're back again, we're back to this. There is obviously a, every 7-0 there's a definite freakish nature to because they just don't happen mm. every week. But it's not that freakish for this Manchester United is a big problem for Ten Hag. Look at the last two seasons, look at the last two seasons. 
conceded seven against Liverpool. Yeah, sorry. No, Six against Manchester City. Yeah. Five against Liverpool. Four against Liverpool, Brentford, Brighton, Watford, Leicester. All of that since the this? beginning of last season. Is that not the way... That's relevant to second ago. You said this is a totally different United team this season. No, but... Sorry, this is this season. Is that well, you're talking about the last, last five, years six years. But lads, yeah. is that, this you're is why it's surprising. Five, six years. This is why it's surprising because United fans have felt like they had turned a leaf. They won a trophy recently. They're beating Barcelona in the Europa League. And the feel-good factor is at the club. Eric Ten Hag is the man in charge. He is brilliant. Uh, and look, a small cohort of United fans are probably saying, could we win a title? I, I think realistically speaking, United are not title contenders. Never have been. Tactical contenders at all this season. I thought, I thought they were actually. I, I don't think so. I, yesterday. I, I, I really did. It was a I, I was absolutely shocked by I, how terrible they were in the second half. I really was. And when Ten Hag's team lose, they lose spectacularly. Like Nathan's already yeah. mentioned, Manchester Derby, the Brentford game. The only close defeat that they've had was the 3 2 to Arsenal in January. They've only so lost we, once in 22 we, games we, going into we're, it. we're giving a lot of, of stick to Bruno, and rightfully so. Luke Shaw's defending yeah, in the second yeah. half. It's the, worst, it's the worst individual performance in a half I've probably ever seen in the Premier League. Like, Luke Shaw's defending Sunday League. Like, we, we talked about Casemiro. Varane was brutal. But Shaw's performance in that second half was... He was trying to get himself sent off as well. And, and I understand that. He probably wanted to get out of there. Get away from the glare of the cameras in the Anfield uh, cop end. And just get back home. Because he was so, so bad. You'd question Luke Shaw after that. Like, like I, I know he's been it's questioned a lot of times. And look, his ball in for Rashford was... He's was been brilliant. Look, he's been brilliant. clearly got at him and targeted him. I... Here, I, I understand. I'd be looking more at Casemiro and Varane from the high standards yeah. they have set. Like Casemiro in that second goal where he's lying on the ground. Oh, that was that was comical. Wondering what his the hell is going on. And as you said, in the first half, his passing was all over the shop. Like Varane, the second... Okay, so there's, there's a lovely ball from Andy Robertson and Fred makes a mistake in stepping across and leaving the space for Gakpo. But the second that... As you're watching on TV, the second that comes to Gakpo, you know he's going to step in onto his right foot. Yeah. yeah. And Rafa Varane's like... Would you like to go this way, sir? Yeah, and also, like to, would you like to walk in here and have a perfect little angle so you can Lissandro win your Martinez uh, blocked David De Gea's view for that shot, so De Gea was, had no chance of getting to it. It was, it was such a, an odd uh, display in terms of the lack of communication in defence as well. But you look at those players from last season, like, like Shane, you mentioned Luke Shaw's capitulation in the second half, because mm. he was pretty decent in the first half. Yeah. And even for Roberto Firmino's goal, the, the seventh one, Varane's body language, if you look back on it, now I understand like it's the seventh goal and he's like, oh my God. But you could definitely see shades of Varane from last season where he was like, I, re- I remember this feeling. I remember this. Yeah. But look, if you, if you want to try and get any positivity at all from Manchester United perspective of this game, I do think it says to Ten Hag, oh, like this project is nowhere near complete. Like, and there's loads of areas that we need improvement. And there's many players who will be waking up this morning thinking, geez, I need to seriously, so who, seriously improve who, dramatically who, who are these or players? else I'm gone in the summer. So what did they need? Because this day last week, it felt like all they needed was maybe a striker yeah. and a central midfielder. But Veghorst wasn't the long-term solution, which clearly is. What do they need now? I would still. I would have said this time last week that full back options on the left beyond Luke Shaw, Terrell Malassio, not totally convinced. But I would have said right back they could Luke definitely Shaw would improve. Probably up till yesterday, have been in most. Oh yeah, yeah, for team sure. of the season. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. But a backup to Shaw would have, could have been a better backup. Right back, not really totally convinced by. Um, centre half is fine. Uh, the goalkeeper probably needs upgrading at some point. I think he's okay. Uh, to midfield, you can see the seven. And, uh, probably a better partner for Casemiro. Uh, Fernandez, I'd, I'd always have around just because of his um, the benefits of that you get. The benefits you what get from Fernandez benefits? are brilliant. When you, when what are the benefits? When, his goals and assists. His stats are are what goals and assists are what you would expect very, from very a player playing in the attacking midfield. I would say they're above average for team. Yeah, I would say they're above average for a midfield player. 
I would definitely on say a top four to team. I would is he? Because this is this is one thing I wondered last week. So United look clearly are going in the right direction under Eric Ten Hag from even more so than Mourinho and Solskjaer and I know you can point out that you know they finished second in those seasons and they mightn't even and probably won't even finish second this season. The one thing we didn't know about United and we are even further away now is how far away from they properly contending for a title? How far are the way are they from being in a position that Arsenal are in right now, pretty, where they're playing important games at this stage of the season, pretty far. where it really really matters, where they have to win, where you have to go out and win, you know, away at Brentford. You have to do what Arsenal do, come from 2-0 down at the end. Like, they're miles away from that um, still. Well, and also, well, they have the massive problem that all the teams have, that Liverpool, as they try and rejuvenate, that Arsenal will have next season. Like, Manchester City will just go and invest again. Yeah, possibly. But this time last year, nobody was saying Arsenal were title contenders this season. So that's how quickly you can turn it around, if you do it right. Look, Ten Hag's acquisitions have been good. So you'd think, if you give him another summer and another couple of transfer windows, he's only going to improve the team. So United fans will be optimistic about that. It's just that today... That, like the squad needs he might need to sit down this week Listen, I think he will I think United should get better but the teams around them may also get better and better for sure Manchester City may improve like City are having an off season City could go back to getting 95 points again next season we're, so we've spent a lot of time United and rightly so because they, they were brutal but we'll be coming back to Daniel Harris later on in the show as well and Harry Pryor to kind of hone in a bit more on Liverpool so we'll move on from them for now but keep the comments coming in on Manchester United and uh yeah, we'll continue to analyse what exactly went wrong for them at Anfield yesterday. Also in the red, uh, West Ham and Tottenham Hotspur after their uh, respective weekends. Uh, I was listening to, to Laro on Football Saturday and he was talking about his good friend David Moyes and he was thinking, is this is this it? A 4-0 defeat to Brighton. Uh, pretty alarming defeat, in fact. Winless now in 11 away matches in the Premier League. Perilously close to those re- relegation uh, discussions, you'd have to say, for David Moyes. And uh, this was uh, not an unlucky performance. It was just an abysmal performance from West Ham United. And the chance, the usual chance, uh, sacked in the morning, started to happen. Uh, so, yeah, David Moyes in trouble, lads. I don't know if uh, if you think he's going to go, but I don't think he'll be gone after this game. Seems to be the the general feeling around uh, around uh, West Ham. So, he, he might survive another couple of games, but if it keeps going the way it's going, he's in trouble. I felt he would be gone. I'm surprised he's still there. But then again, they did beat Nottingham Forest 4-0 recently, so that probably bought him a little bit of time. But I thought they were very poor against uh, Manchester United in the FA Cup during the week from the position that they were in and at the same time when they were 1-0 down against Brighton at the weekend Jared Bowen had a great chance to equalise so could have gone differently but I guess we're using that word again capitulation and that's what happened to West Ham and it feels like the Moyes um, era can give no more they squeeze the sponge out of that and I do expect him to be replaced probably by Rafa Benitez I'd imagine I think it would be a bad decision to get rid of Moyes right now maybe at the end of the season you're probably right it has run out of a little bit of steam and it may be taken out of their hands when you look at their next two games or against Aston Villa and Southampton both at home so they need minimum of four points out of that they're in the conference league as well so they're playing Larnaca on Thursday night so there's a lot of games coming down the track they beat Forest 4-0 Forest are very solid defensively in general United probably showed the problem for Moyes, I think, at getting to that next level. His record oh, record against top teams away from home is absolutely woeful. Yeah. A lack of ambition, it feels a lack of confidence. Laura made a comment on the show a few months back about David Moyes being a real worrier. And you get that sense watching his West Ham team. And it's probably what cost him at Manchester United. That he was thinking about what could go wrong rather than actually, we're 1-0 up Let's against Manchester it. United. Let's go on and kick on. And they had chances. It's not his fault that Mikel Antonio has an absolute mare in front of goal. And they win that. Suddenly there's a bit of momentum behind them. They might go and win at the weekend. Or maybe they don't because like we're talking about Brighton 
in an historical sense almost that this is like Brighton produced one of the performances of the season mm. like there were some outstanding performances in the Premier League at the weekend that will obviously be overshadowed by what Liverpool did Brighton the quality of Brighton's goals Roberto was insane what a job this guy's doing oh well they're already worried that he's going to go during the summer his reputation is higher uh, than than Graham Potter's uh, was <laughs> it feels uh, I was is, yeah. I was I was over at the Cup game um, where Evan Ferguson got injured against Liverpool and it was in his press conference afterwards uh, annoying all the journalists by just asking about Evan Ferguson mm. when it was the final day of the transfer window and all they wanted to know was about Moses Casado. But he was incredibly impressive in that press conference with how he firstly handled the Casado situation, which was, we want to keep him. I think he's a great guy. Mm. He's obviously been led astray by those beside him, but I think he's a great guy. And if he comes back in, I'll still think he's a great guy. Very strong with the owner, Tony Bloom, who by all accounts is one of the better owners in the Premier League, invests in the right way, do their due diligence in terms of recruitment of players and of managers as well and said, you know, if he wants to finish in the European spots, you cannot sell your best players in January. That's what this club has traditionally done over the last few years and that's why they can't get gone. He managed to keep Casado. Casado was exceptional at the weekend. Evan Ferguson's role in Mitoma's goal that he took in... that counter-attack and little backheel from Ferguson on the edge of the area and the cross from Matoma. Alexis McAllister has come back, got his goals after the World Cup. Like they are a team you want to go and watch yeah. right now. Matoma is a cracking player. Ah, what a player. Oh, McAllister. All through that team. Yeah. And they are one of these teams that you watch them against the top four, top six, and you go... He probably improved them. Like Estepinian, they just sold Kukurea for 50 million quid during the summer. And Estepinian's come in at left back. And it's even better. Their transfer policy is brilliant. Second to none. Like every other team should be following their blueprint. We should touch on Spurs as well. I mean, disappointing weekend for them to say the least. Still in fourth. Remarkably so. Christian Stellini after the game saying they weren't nasty enough in that game against Wolves. Wolves moved six points clear of relegation. Uh, big opportunity wasted for Tottenham. You'd have to say they were probably the better team in the first half. It certainly was the old cliche game of two halves. Uh, and they have that Champions League second leg against AC Milan upcoming this week now on Wednesday and a massive game against Nottingham Forest after that before the international break so uh, Conte will, will return now after his gallbladder operation uh, but yeah worrying times for Tottenham Hotspur as well will, will we keep the show yep. moving lads because there, there's a lot to get through here we'll, we'll go to the amber Brendan Rodgers and actually to Brendan Rodgers because uh, uh, that's why it's in the amber one had a bad week and uh, uh, weekend and one had a very good weekend so we'll start with the bad weekend for uh, Leicester City manager Brendan Rodgers, safe to say, uh, called for his sacking after the weekend and a defeat by Southampton on Saturday, 1-0. They're just two points above the Premier League's relegation zone. Seventh defeat in ten top-flight games for Leicester. Uh, only Bournemouth, who are bottom of the league, have won fewer points than Leicester since the uh, resumption after the World Cup. Um, four successive defeats, knocked out of the FA Cup as well to Blackburn Rovers. And yeah, all of a sudden now you're getting names being thrown out. Thomas Frank, Ralph Hasenhutl, even Benitez as well, as potential replacements for Brendan Rodgers so he had a bad week you lose to Southampton you're in the, you're in a spot of bother New Era Southampton that's the only thing he'll be saying about that Well, they're much like more it, it felt like the, the Rodgers era had probably ran out of steam towards the end of last season I, I still feel he's incredibly harshly judged all of the time I think he's a very good manager who could easily and should be always in and around a top six club. The way this has disintegrated over the past year, 18 months, probably means he won't be in the mix for one of those straight away. But managers live and die by their players. And his biggest problem is Jamie Vardy has reached old age and can't play anymore and his replacements can't score any goals. Kelechi Iheanacho, it's cliche, he should have had a hat-trick. He should have had a hat-trick. 
he missed two absolute sitters from headers from five yards out that he has to score. Yeah. And then Gavin Bazunu, who had a couple of ropey moments, yeah. uh, kicks the ball straight to him and he fires it in on top of the crossbar. Like, this is a game Leicester should have won. It's a game Ianacho should have scored some goals. And that's sort of been the story of their season. They've had a lot of injuries over the last couple of years. They haven't invested in the areas they should. And there's only so much a manager can do with that. Yeah, the money's gone. And, uh, like, I was saying the same thing about Rodgers. I thought it had run its course. I was expecting him to leave either by uh, his own decision or decision by the club. And he hasn't. So I actually think he's doing very well to get any more out of this Leicester side. And you're totally right. Rodgers gets a very hard time. And literally every single club he's been at, he's done well. And you also forget that he won the FA Cup for Leicester. Yeah, he's, good, he's a good you know, manager. Like, he's done brilliantly well. But um, I do feel like there's a change in coming there. A bit like at West Ham. I think that's what's going to happen. With the other Brendan Rodgers yeah. then, a lot of Derry fans screaming at the screen at the moment, and rightly so. What a night for them in Celtic Park. What was it, 12,000 or, uh, or so fans? Uh, under the lights, sold out stadium as well. Really, really good atmosphere it seemed. It wasn't at the game, but uh, certainly through the TV screens, that's the way it... Uh, it, it appeared Brendan Rodgers with the late point in stoppage time to cap off that comeback. Niall Toner's goal as well, kind of setting them on their way. Uh, and you're thinking at half time, Dublin well ahead in this game, 7 2 ahead. Then Tom Lahiff fists another point. And you're thinking, well, this is potentially heading the way of the dubs. Uh, and then that inspirational point from Ethan Doherty to, to kind of bring Derry back into it, maybe give them that little boost and think, well, we could get something out of this game still. Uh, but then towards the end, Kieran Kilkenny tagging on uh, a couple of points. And you're thinking, yeah, they're pulling away yet again. Oshin McWilliams then and Lachlan Murray kicking the, those uh, late points. Derry ahead for the first time in the game in the 69th minute of the match. Then that Costello free levels it. McGuigan wastes a chance and Rodgers wins it with the final kick. It was, it was the perfect game management. Pass the ball around. We're either going to draw this game or win it. And uh, they managed to get that one last score. Brendan Rodgers, who I spoke very glowingly about last season. Uh, really, really uh, unbelievable player for Derry. And he was such a crucial cog in that semi-final run last year in the Championship. Uh, so what a weekend for Derry. What a win. Division 1, uh, straight straight up to Division 1 for next season. From Division 4 all the way up to Division 1. It's impressive, isn't we were it? talking to Declan Bogo on Thursday night show and because Rory Gallagher, obviously there's always criticism of his style of football and at halftime in that game when you've scored two points in the first half, it's coming <laughs> at you hard and fast. But he has managed to unite Derry football. He has managed to bring them back, as you say, very quickly to Division 1. And they looked in that second half like an elite team, like Brendan Rodgers and Brian Fenton. Mm. You were watching that tussle going, Phew, maybe we're talking about the two best midfielders in the country right yeah, now. Yeah. Like Rogers, some of some of the balls he managed to pluck ahead of Fenton oh. and Fenton is he's one of it's maybe it's just his face. He's definitely always comes across one of the more gracious losers. Yeah. And we didn't see him lose for what was it, five years. Uh, <laughs> so he didn't have much time to practice it even. No. But there seems a genuineness you can tell in his face as to the guys he really respects and the shake of the hand with Rogers and the sort of knowing glances towards the end of the game of all right, this guy has pushed me to the pin of my collar. Yeah, uh, I think like Derry are definitely all Ireland contenders, and uh, like I can't see past them for the for the Ulster Championship this year. I really can't. Our, oh, our top of Division Two. Be... Imagine if they were top of Division One. I know. <laughs> yeah, the Mayo lads are are, are on form. This morning as well. So look, apologies to Mayo fans. We can't get to you. There's just too much to get to. Congrats to Mayo. Big no, no, come back to coming. us at the end of July. We we'll you, don't want to be in, don't want to be in green until the last Sunday yeah. in July, Shane. You cute hers. That's what you are. Uh, Arsenal in the green. Oh. I think they have to be, don't they? For the oh. club, generally speaking, but, after but the weekend. Uh, we'll start with the the, uh, the women's team yesterday. County Cup, uh, fantastic performance. Especially the character that, that they show uh, showed after losing to Arsenal or to Chelsea the previous week. Uh, and then Sam Kerr gives Chelsea the lead after two minutes and you're thinking the writing's on the wall here uh, Chelsea are going to go on and win the game as well um, 
but a brilliant, brilliant performance. And, and uh, what a moment for those Arsenal fans to, to just cap off a weekend uh, in front of the Chelsea owner as well, Todd Bowley, who was at the match at the County Cup final yesterday. Um, but Blackstinius, Kim Little's penalty, Neve Charles' own goal, uh, gets them over the line. They, they said after the, the Chelsea game the previous week, Jonas Eideval, the, the Arsenal manager, that they, they felt that they had kind of managed Sam Kerr quite, quite well. And yesterday it was proved right. Even after two minutes they concede and they still managed to, to cope with her. Uh, and that threat that, that Sam Kerr and the whole Chelsea forward line poses. So, uh, a brilliant win. And look, just mirrored the comeback win the previous day from, from Reese Nelson's goal and the, the absolute scenes against Bournemouth. Yeah. What a 3 2 win for Arsenal. A title winning performance, you'd have There's to say. There's one thing on. Um, uh, the Guardian went with Katie McCabe on the back page lifting mm. the trophy. And she had a really good game, but she was taken off quite early before the hour mark. And you do wonder. She won the penalty as well. Yeah. Yeah, there was no. There didn't seem to be any talk about an injury or no, anything massive after the game. So, uh, Hopefully there's uh, nothing to worry about, but it shows the folly, uh, even if she did have a bit of a head cold a couple of weeks ago, of not having her in that Arsenal team. And when they played last week, Arsenal had more chances and just couldn't take them. And Blackstenius missed a host of chances and obviously took her chance early yesterday. Uh, Emma Hayes was interesting after the game, talking about Chelsea and their complacency. It was a really interesting interview. I couldn't figure out exactly who she was trying to get at with it. It was one of those where there was definitely a point being made to either the media or the players where it was, when you've won as many trophies as we have, mm. and she must have said this about four times, like, we have won a lot of trophies. When, when you've won all the trophies we have... It was a Mourinho moment, wasn't it? When you've won all the trophies we have, you know, you could tell we were the team who'd won all the trophies lately and if they hadn't won any trophies, and you could tell, and I'm just really disappointed in the complacency, but, you know, when you look... So it was... I, I, I just couldn't figure out whether it was a real, all right, Arsenal, well done, you've won the League Cup, but, you know, you're probably out of the title race. We're still in control of yeah. the league. Even with Manchester United pulling clear yesterday, you know, we're still the big dogs. Let's see how we all get on the Champions League. Or was she actually really having a dig at her team going... Well, this sort of complacency can't kick in again for the rest of the season. Yeah. The reminder of those trophies, always be updating your virtual LinkedIn. This is what I was doing. This is what I brought to the club. But like the fact that they were unbeaten since the first time in WSL, not that. Um, what have you brought? And they were like, they started so well. And it was a team of ours this weekend to concede very, very early, like 9.7, 9.11 seconds early uh, on Saturday. Mm. And then to do it after it was a 90 odd seconds with Sam Kerr's goal and to come back both times. It's like you really couldn't have had much of a better weekend for Arsenal since probably the glory days of the Arsene Wenger era. Oh, what a weekend for Arsenal. You have, to, you have to remember the women's team as well, Beth Mead and, and Miedema, like those crucial injuries before Christmas. You're thinking this this could be the, the end of their season in many ways because two such, two crucial players for the team uh, and they hadn't beaten Chelsea in five, so that's that was impressive. But even when, when Arsenal uh, on Saturday went 2-0 down to Bournemouth, you never felt like they were out of the game. You're like, this is going to be a Fergie time, late type situation. Now, when it, when it was 2-2 in the 96th minute, I didn't think they were going to win the game, but... Um, uh, just an incredible moment. Reese Nelson's finish. Oh, this was this was the moment of the season <laughs> so far. There's nothing better in football than a goal when the game is over. Oh. And by that I mean, so you've had your last chance. So it was nine, it was six minutes of injury time, and we've gone through it, and they've already had an opportunity, and then they get the corner kick. It's one of those you're going, oh, he won't even let them take the corner kick because we're out of time yeah, so it's yeah, done yeah. so the Arsenal fans have we thrown everything at them probably deserve to win the game with the way they played in, in the second half and the way they bombarded the Bournemouth goal and you go ah, listen one point it's back to three bit of momentum gone you've got to be beating Bournemouth in these sort of games all the criticism that's going to come their way 
and then the quality of the finish and the celebrations. The Athletic have gone full-scale yeah, Athletic brilliant. with a, uh, a deep dive into the celebrations. Uh, who was the first player over to Reese Nelson? What Odegaard did away from the cameras? Who, the little kid that Mikel Arteta was suddenly celebrating oh. with? All of that. And ah, it was, it was a moment where I think if you're a neutral, you're looking at it going, you know what, I think I would like Arsenal to win the league this season. I think it would mean so much more to them than it would to... City. Manchester They're City. They're just better to watch than City too, aren't they? Well, they are. And the thing that is really... Uh, when you watch Arsenal over the past couple of months is the little bit of depth that they have in their squad and players who've been able to make a difference. So they had a really good January transfer window, it turned out, in signing Jorginho and Trossard. Yeah. Without spending an insane amount of money. Like, Trossard comes on... I think in that game against Manchester United, he was the match winner. He was the one who made the difference in the closing stages with the way he brought the game to United. He's allowed them to play a different system. Obviously, he went off injured, but he's allowed them suddenly, with Nketiah getting injured, to play Martinelli up front, which seems to, uh, to play Martinelli and Trossard together and allow Martinelli at times to get into a more central position. Uh, so he's done well. Jorginho obviously has the shot off the crossbar that ends up in the own goal for Emi Martinez. It's this massive moment in, in that game that looks to have won it for them in injury time and when Party was out, is able to step in in the middle of midfield and do a pretty solid job. And then Inketia replaces Jesus, mm. scores some goals. Reese Nelson comes out of nowhere, mm. comes on, scores some goals. Smith Rowe is back as well, who I've always thought is a really nice yeah, player. They might there. just have enough depth there it was to the, get this done. That was, result was a title-winning stuff. Like You see that over the years with, with teams getting over with exactly games like that. Like You could argue that this time last season they would have either lost or drawn that game against Bournemouth and they've come on that a little bit more. Also, Reese Nelson, our own Stephen Doyle, tweeted this in the immediate aftermath of the match. His first Premier League appearance since November. Which what an impact. That's mad. What an impact. Like To have that over your CV. We're get, lads, we're getting like hundreds of comments in here. Yeah. I mean, I can't, it, it's hard to pick the best now. But here's one from Paul McGee. In my entire life supporting Liverpool, that was the best day I've ever had bar Istanbul sorry we should mention that that, that brings us on to the last green Liverpool of course uh, which I mean United fans have to take their take their medicine uh, take the defeat take it gently and uh, give some credit to Liverpool because this performance just felt like every time Liverpool got the ball in the second half it was going to end up in the back of the David De Gea's net the ball was almost being sucked into the cup it was like this is this, literally every time Liverpool got the ball I was like yeah they're going to score they're absolutely going to score whether it was calamitous defending or what, but, but Liverpool's attacking threat was just unbelievable. Every time Salah got the ball, well, Mo beautiful Salah, volley as well. Most of it is worth touching on here. He's broken Robbie Fowler's record. Liverpool's highest scoring Premier League player ever, 129 goals, went into the game on 127. Also, no one's really talking about Salah this season. He scored 22 goals. That The standards that he set for himself, it's like he's quietly going about having a brilliant season because of how phenomenal he's been in previous years. And this, look, this Liverpool performance just reminded me yesterday that like these lads should be contending for the title. Even if they are tired after last season, even if they did play every single game possible last season, they're still that good. Even with uh, the midfield Alan, Alan Quinlan is, uh, is going to be on the line. He's got a can of seven up. He's got a can of seven up. I can feel Alan Quinlan here at the door. Like, he's uh, right geez, here. We usually struggle to get him in the studio. He's in an hour early today. Uh, Salah, <laughs> so... Salah's standards are so high because of that. I think the brilliant season, you expect him to score so many goals. The key yesterday... And I felt this watching them in the first 20 minutes against Real Madrid. When Liverpool are at their best, and listen, maybe this is the most obvious statement of all time, Salah needs that for him to be at his best because he plays the game faster than anybody else I've seen to play in the Premier League in recent times in that he needs it to be 100 miles an hour. His control is so good. So when the ball is pinged to him, 
the way it can be from Trent or from Robertson or crossfield. And you look at the react, look at the speed of his reaction when he twists and turns and sends Martinez. The second Martinez slips, mm. he doesn't panic. That's when he goes, all right, now I can just slip yeah, yeah. and oh, that's, little that's ball in. Yeah. But that's, if you look at the quality of goals that he scored and you think of the goal against Manchester City, was it last season, uh, some of the goals where he wiggles his way in the area. If it's, if it's 110 miles an hour, which is the way Liverpool generally play, yeah. that's when he comes into his own because he can do things that nobody else yeah, yeah. can do. And that's the way they played in the second half yesterday. Shane, that was a volley. It was absolutely yeah, that goal. All right. I, I was confused following this conversation on Friday because it was well, even by uh, the standards of this show, it was somewhat quite nonsensical. Interesting. So Interesting your take, your yeah, point really on I'm going to make a quick point here. So we yeah. we're going to sorry have to just go on the, the, you put up a, a, a tweet. So yeah, Wayne sorry, Rooney we have, we have the, the Twitter poll. Line. We have the Twitter poll. So we'll put it up. Okay. I, I was putting up the West Ham uh, Rooney near halfway line goal. Yeah, which. Uh, Obviously bounces up. There's the results of the poll. So it's uh, what over a thousand votes. Nineteen percent said it was a volley. Fifty-six percent a half volley. Twenty-five percent something else. I was getting criticised. Can I just say this, Nathan, before you make a point in this? I was getting criticised and slandered on the show on Friday for saying that it was a volley, and and yet only nineteen percent of people agreed with me. You might say that a Jilly Flaherty, professional footballer, disagreed with me as well. Uh, I got a, a voice message from a, a player with 110 international caps for for his country at the weekend. So uh, Kevin Gilban, play the clip. It's a volley. Wayne Rooney's goal against West Ham is a volley. It's only a half volley if it bounces immediately and you're connecting with it on the on the bounce, like a half or like a drop goal in rugby. That's a half volley. A volley doesn't matter whether it bounces, whether you're connecting with it on the full prior to it bouncing, it's still a volley. So yeah, and every single professional footballer that's ever played the game and have been taught since the age of probably seven or eight years of age know full well the difference between a volley and a half volley. It doesn't matter whether it's bounced or not. If it bounced and it bounces high, it's a volley. Half volley, as I was trying to explain to you before, is like a drop goal in, in rugby. That's what a half volley is, where it just literally bounces and you hit it on the bounce or on the up. That's a half volley. Salah's goal was a volley. I'll be kill, taking kill no further questions. Kill discovering uh, voice messages is one of the worst things that ever <laughs> yeah. happened. Uh, it's just such a bad example, the Wayne Rooney one. Okay. The sa- such a bad sorry, example. The Salah goal is, is the same. Same example. We, no, but it's not because we gotta go. Rooney's at the halfway line. Rooney's go. at the halfway line. So it's neither go. a volley or a half volley. Salah's was a uh, We will get back like. to Liverpool. We have spent only about 30 seconds talking about... Uh, them, but I think as uh, Manchester United, when you lose seven 0 probably are the story. But we will be talking with Harry uh, Pryor in just a little while. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.